Well, I'm glad you're here this morning. Those of you that are watching online, we're just so thankful to have you be a part of this worship service. We're coming to the end of this series, Uncovering uh, the Mysteries. And this series has really been about taking a look at uh, seven I am statements that Jesus made throughout the Gospels. And these statements really help us layer by layer uncover a little bit more of the mystery of who Christ is. And today we're going to look at the final one in this series. And it's a very important one. Jesus says, I'm the, I'm the light of the world. And he said, he who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And obviously, he's talking about spiritual light. And one of the things that spiritual light does, it helps us to see what's in front of us, like headlights on a, on a car. But the other thing it does, it shows us what's in the deep recesses of our soul. It exposes things, sort of like the dome light inside the car. And finally, light brings us joy. And so we've, in, we've entitled this message, In Light of Light. That's like a weird title, I know, but in light of Jesus being the light, what does that really mean for you and me? Because that's really a big part of this uncovering the mystery. It's not only do we learn more about Jesus in this series, but hopefully we're really learning more of what he wants to do uh, in, our, in our lives. And so let, let's jump in. In John chapter 8, we're going to begin in verse 1, and it's a uh, a part of uh, what I believe is a sermon that Jesus was preaching or teaching, and it is interrupted pretty mightily. So let, let's sort of kind of jump in. It'll make sense to you in just a moment. Here we go in, in John chapter 8, verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives at dawn. He appeared in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. Now, let me just say this. When it says all the people, uh, this was most likely during a, a Jewish festival called the, the Feast of Tabernacles. It's kind of like uh, Thanksgiving for us where they were celebrating the harvest. And so Jews from really all over the Roman Empire were back in Jerusalem. So it's a very, very crowded, crowded time. And Jesus is there teaching. This is at a time in Jesus' ministry where he's just gaining popularity. People are coming to hear him preach and teach. And he's performing miracles. And so not only is he gaining popularity, but opposition against him is, is growing because the Pharisees, the ruling pow, party in power in uh, Jerusalem, saw him as a threat. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives at dawn. He appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? Look at verse 6. They were using this question as a trap, you think? in order to have a basis for accusing him. And so let, let, let's just stop right there for just a second. Can you imagine being in a place, listening to Jesus teach, just like you're, you're here today and, and you're uh, and, uh, listening to a sermon and the sermon is interrupted, not by somebody getting up and uh, heading out to go to the bathroom, not by a cell phone going off, not that that happens, it does, but there's a woman that's caught in the act of adultery and they can't come bringing her in. They barge in, knocking people out of the way and they throw her right at the feet of Jesus. Now that's an interruption, isn't it? That's like sermon over. You know, how was church today? Crazy. What do you mean crazy? You won't believe what happened. 
And so here, here, here's, an, here's an interesting thing about this. Why, why were they doing this? Why were the Pharisees doing this? Because to them, Jesus was a threat. They wanted Jesus out of the picture. And so they thought they had the perfect dilemma for him. Because if, if Jesus doesn't do anything, if he doesn't stone her, uh, which the scripture uh, commanded to do, this adultery was a capital uh, offense. Uh, Leviticus chapter 20 teaches that, that if he doesn't stone her, then he would be contradicting the law of Moses. But if he does stone her, then where's the compassion? Where's your grace and mercy that you have been teaching? So it is the perfect dilemma. Can you imagine the meeting that must have took place prior to this where somebody comes up with this just sinister plot and plan? I mean, it's just a terrible, terrible thing. And and listen, they could care less about this woman. They're just using her to try to accomplish their means. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. Let's look at the second part of verse 6. So Here's this woman, she's brought in before Jesus, maybe just a sheet around her as she's drug out of a bedroom. The shame, the guilt, the utter humiliation that she must have felt as she found herself center stage in the temple that day. Can you imagine if someone did this to your sister, to your mom, to someone that you care deeply about? Watch what Jesus does. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Let's think about this. There's a lot of people that try to speculate what Jesus is writing. We don't know what Jesus was writing. If God would have wanted us to know what Jesus was writing... He would have told us. But as he kneels down, he most likely is kneeling down beside her. He enters into her pain. He enters into her humiliation. When they kept on questioning him, verse 7, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. This is a brilliant response. This is an amazing response, right? Jesus, in, in, in a sense, what, what is he doing? He, he understands what the law is saying. He's saying, you know what? You guys have a correct read on the law of Moses. You, you are forgetting also of another passage that says, says this, that anyone who is going to be uh, punished by a cap, because of a capital offense needs to have at least two or three witnesses. And he says, I'm sure those witnesses who caught this woman in the act, again, it, wasn't a, it couldn't just be an accusation. You couldn't see this woman kind of leaving somebody's house or somebody leaving her house. You had to literally, two or three people had to catch her in the act. So this was completely a setup. Do you understand that? Completely a setup. Yesterday morning, I'll, I'll kind of illustrate it this way. Yesterday morning, I was up drinking coffee. Our neighbors across the street just got a new RV. It's amazing. You should see it. And uh, they, they were out about 6.30, and they were kind of working on it. And so I just made my way, because I'm nosy and we're friends. And so I just made my way with my coffee over there, and I'm walking through their RV at 6.30 in the morning. They're showing me it's, it's killer. And, uh, and so after I took my uh, tour of the RV, and I'm making my way back across the street to my house, there's another neighbor who's walking. They said, Pastor Brady, you had to sleep in the RV last night? And I, you know, you know, I thought about a little bit, because I think about this in my line of work. That's where rumors get started. Yeah, do you know he's my neighbor? Guess what? He sleeps in an RV across the street. I saw him like 6.30 in the morning. He was walking back. Right? That's how that stuff gets started, right? 
You see, you couldn't, you couldn't punish someone just on the, the word of someone else. Literally, they had to be two or three people that saw this deal go down, right? And, and this law was there for those who just did not care, who were just blatant in their, in their sin and dishonoring the Lord with their lives and just would do something just public, just blatant disobedience, right? So Jesus understands the law, and he flips it on them. He says, hey, you're right. Those of you who were the two or three witnesses, those of you who are saw, saw it, if your heart is right, go ahead and cast the first stone. He knows their heart isn't right because they're being dishonest in the whole thing from the jump, right? <laughs> go ahead, we're waiting. Start slinging. Maybe this woman is thinking, just make the first shot be a good one and put me out of my pain and it's over. But let's watch what happens. Verse 8, again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. What is he writing? I don't know. Is he writing the Ten Commandments? Is he writing the names and the sins of those people who are there? I, I don't know. At this time, those who, who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first. Does this lady begin to hear the footsteps and look up and see that all of her accusers now are exiting stage left until only... Jesus was left. It's just the two of them right there. With the woman still standing there, Jesus stood up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she replies. Then neither do I condemn you. Now, let's stop here for just a moment. Is, is Jesus just all of a sudden going soft on sin? Is he saying, hey, you know what, adultery is not that big a deal? I know we made it in the top 10, but we'll just sweep this one under the rug. Is that what Jesus is saying? No. Why is he not in this moment punishing her for this sin? Why? Because he is about to be punished for her sin. You see? I'm not condemning you. I'm going to take all of the condemnation for you. And then listen to how he leaves it. Go now and leave your life of sin. It's an incredible statement, meaning if you really understand the grace and the mercy of what I've just done, then you have a desire to walk in holiness, right? If you continue to walk in sin, it's a reflection that you don't understand the grace and mercy of Christ, And then Jesus spoke. Notice what the scripture says, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, why is that phrase there? Because I believe it was a message that was interrupted, right? Now back to the sermon. I am the light of the world. And I can imagine if you were there after seeing this whole incident go down, you're like, yes, you are. I didn't know how you were going to get out of that one. That was a trap. You saw right through that. Man, you exposed them. I'm listening now. I'm the light of the world. He who follows me, my spiritual light for illumination so that sin might be exposed will never walk in spiritual darkness. I want some of that. And will even have the light of life. I just imagine those folks listening now listened at a whole different level because of what they just experienced, don't you? Let, let's look at a couple things from this statement in light of Jesus being the light. How does that really affect our life in light of light? 
It's interesting. Uh, Josh was talking about some of the Rock the Blocks. Rock the Blocks just ended this past weekend. And uh, one of the Rock the Blocks said, you know, we, Pastor Brady, we know Rock the Block was supposed to be kind of a backyard deal, but it was 160 degrees in my neighborhood yesterday. So we just moved, in light of the heat, we moved Rock the Block in. So we, had a, in, we, had a, we rocked the block in the den yesterday in light of the heat, right? So that's the point, in light of what? In light of Jesus being the light, how does that really affect the way that we live our life? That's, that's really the point. Number, number one, here's the first thing, multiple things that we could see. In light of the light, first thing is light must be chased. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me. Now, Charles Spurgeon was maybe the greatest preacher outside of Jesus, of course, who, who ever lived in the late 1800s. Spurgeon said this. It's fascinating at one level. He said, if a man could travel so fast as to always follow the sun, of course, he would always be in the light. If the day should ever come, and again, Spurgeon is saying this, preaching, using this as an illustration in the late 1800s. If the day should ever come when the speed of the railway shall be equal to the speed of the world's motion, then a man may so live as to never lose the light. Now he that follows Christ, here's his point, now that he that chases after Christ shall never walk in darkness. You see what Spurgeon's saying? He said, think about it for a second. I mean, the earth spins around on its axis every 23 hours and 56 minutes at a speed of 1,000 miles per hour. I'm pretty close there. But if you could have some mean or mode of transportation to travel at that same speed or greater, you could chase the light, right? You could never be in darkness. It's interesting, there's a Florida-based aerospace company named Arion that is uh, producing and testing and trials right now with NASA, a 50-person commercial airliner that is set to release sometime at the end of this decade. This is what you're seeing is the AS-3 Mach 4 commercial jetliner. This bad boy is able to catch this. Right now in trials, is able to travel at speeds up to tw from, from 2,300 miles an hour to 3,800 miles an hour with 50 people in it. I'm not drinking a Diet Coke and eating peanuts when that bad boy takes off, are you? <laughs> like that is screaming. Arian's tagline is this, any place on the globe in less than three hours, right? Los Angeles to Tokyo, two hours and 45 minutes. That bad boy can chase the light, right? It's fast enough to do that. You see, so... So what, what, what's the point? It's really what Spurgeon is, is, is saying is we don't have to wait around for this, this, this plane to be there. We can do that today in a spiritual sense. We can chase the light so we never have to be in spiritual darkness. And that's what Jesus is first saying when he says, I'm the light of the world. I can illuminate your life. You can see what really is there spiritually. You can see the traps that are laid in front of you because what's taking place in this story, isn't it a trap? Isn't it what the Pharisees are doing? They're trying to trap him. Jesus knows the law. He's God in the flesh. He knows it, and he exposes that. And then to us, what does that mean? That if we would chase after him, chase after his word, that, that we could live our life with spiritual illumination to see what's really present and avoid the traps that are there in front of us. 
Because one of the things that spiritual light will do is spiritual light directs us through the traps of life. Can I ask you a question? Some of you are like, can you give me some more information about that plane? I'd really like to look into that. <laughs> Let's talk about that. It was just an illustration. The light of truth, Jesus' light, as we chase after that, meaning directing our life around that, directs us through the traps of life. Do you believe the enemy have some tra has some traps waiting for you in your life? Whether you believe that or not, that's true all day, every day. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. One of the things that light does, it illuminates those traps. John 8, 32, it's on down in, in this chapter. Jesus says, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you what? Free, it's what the Lord wants for you. One of the reasons why you and I aren't walking in freedom that the Lord would have us to is because we've been caught in the snare of the enemy because we've been walking around in darkness. Psalms 119, 105, it's a verse we learned as a kid. Maybe if you, if you had the privilege of growing up in church, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. I... I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to guilt anybody. I'm, I'm guilty of this as well. But I, I want you to think about this today. You know, we, uh, we spend so much time, effort, and energy trying to get people in groups. And just, just to be honest, uh, it hadn't worked very well. We're still at the same percentage we were 15 years ago, about four out of every 10 people. Yeah, you have to give us, uh, you have to give us credit for being persistent, right? You guys keep talking about it. You're not effective, but you are persistent. We appreciate that. And here's what I hear. Here's what I hear. Like, I'm too busy. And we got a lot going on. We're busy. Here's my perspective. You're going to spend the rest of your life stuck. This isn't, this is something. This is something that you don't, if you're so busy, you don't have time to avoid this, right? I mean, this is a priority. I mean, it, because I, if you're busy, don't you want something that's going to save you some time, right? Don't you want something that can make life a little bit easier? It's the word of God that will illuminate the traps that are set for you. But see, we, we, we see it just differently, right? You're not getting ahead if you're walking around in darkness, stumbling and getting sucked in, trapped by everything that the enemy has for you, you're spinning your wheels. You see, we say around here the first 15 minutes of the day really determines your day, whether we get into the Word and let that really light our day or, or not. I just want you to see that you're too busy not to do this. Here's the first trap, and Wednesday or Thursday night, we looked at about 12 of them. If you're here on Thursday night, you should have been here. We're just going to look at one of them today. Is that all right, those of you watching online? Here's the first trap of life. What's life all about? You know, and I'm asking, what's your, what's your purpose? What is your, why are you here on planet Earth? Why do you exist? In a sense, you can answer this the wrong way and, and fall into a trap. In fact, we believe that we are here to re really experience maximum satisfaction, to get ours, right? <laughs> to be happy, some people might say, to experience pleasure. You only go around once. Look what the scripture says, how the scripture lights this up and helps us to see the answer. If not, you'll stay trapped the rest of your life. Psalms 115.1, not to us, Lord, not to us. Do you understand what just happened there? Same thing is, is mentioned what? Twice. Why is it mentioned twice? Because most of us think our existence is primarily about us, right? 
David says, not to us, it's not about me, it's not about me, but your name be the glory, meaning I am here so that your name might be glorified. The reason that I'm living, that's what scripture, do, scripture does. Scripture eliminates the traps, the enemy traps you think, and this life is about you. David says, no, it's not, it's not about you, it's not about you. Your purpose and your meaning here in life is to live for the glory of God. That is the first trap, and do you see how most of us spend all of our life trapped there? But you and I, we begin to find freedom because the word opens us up and we say, you know, I'm here so that I can live my life by the way I act, the things I say, the things that I do, that I can bring glory to God. What does it mean to bring glory to God? It means to live your life in such a way that you turn the light on so that people can see clearly the nature of our king. That's why you're here. And you'll never be free until you're living that out. Right? Jesus said it this way in Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. John starts his gospel this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. If Jesus is the Word, it makes perfect sense that he's also the light. And in fact, it really explains how we receive his light, which illuminates the traps that are set before us by being in his Word. Here's, here's, here's a statement, and we'll leave this. You will either chase light or stumble in darkness the rest of your life. That's it. You will either be a person who chases the light or you will be a person who spends the bulk of your life stumbling around in darkness. Let's look at the second thing. Number one, life must be chased. Number two, secrets must be smashed. And you're like, that, that's weird. What, what are you talking about? Well, one of the things that light does is light doesn't only illuminate what's out in front of us. Light illuminates what's within us. You know, uh, for me, whenever I misplace something, the first place I look is underneath the seat of my, the front seat of my truck, right? I found everything there, right? Waffle flowers from Chick-fil-A, change for a dollar, my wife's wedding ring, it's all, you go, there. But you just bend over, you put a light underneath there, and you can find this amazing thing. You need a pen, there's always a pen there. Do you have that place, like, you don't know where a pen is, you have that place that you can look, and you say, there's it, there it is. There'll always be one there, right? But you have to shine a light there to see what's there. Can I tell you something? That's what light does. Light exposes. Can I give you a haunting truth really quickly before you check out? If you're watching online, listen to this. The haunting truth of light, and Jesus says, I'm the light. The haunting truth of light is that it exposes everything. You don't have any secrets. It's fascinating. We think we do. You don't have any secrets. Light exposes everything. But some of you today, you think, you know what? You've got some secrets. There's some things going on in your life you think nobody knows about. She's sitting right beside you, but you think she doesn't have a clue. And she may not, but that doesn't mean that the Lord doesn't because light exposes everything. Nothing is hidden from the Lord. And don't you see it in this story? I mean, this, this woman's sin is exposed. The heart of these Pharisees is exposed. Nothing is hidden from our God. You ever played hide-and-go-seek with a two-year-old? They hide right in the middle of the room. They just cover their face. They think you can't see them. That's really how we as 50-year-olds live before God and think that there are things going on in our life that the Lord doesn't see. There are no secrets because light exposes everything. Do you believe that? I do. Psalms 139 says this. David says about the Lord, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. That's comforting at one level that God knows us, 
is intimately in tune with everything that's going on in our life, and it's haunting in another way. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it, Lord, you know it completely. Look on down at verse 12. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. Meaning, we think we can hide from other people. We'll use the darkness to hide from other people, but even darkness isn't dark to you. Why? Because you're light. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. You know, one day when we step into the kingdom, the book of Revelation teaches this, that there will be no longer any need for the S-U-N sun because of the sun and his radiance will fill eternity with his light. Is that powerful? Yeah. So nothing is hidden from the Lord. Matt Chandler says this. It's a great statement. Secrets, secrets are the darkness in which death and destruction grow. Sometimes counselors will say it this way. You're only as sick as your secrets that we keep from each other. So if we believe this, here's where we ought to be. If we believe that Jesus is the light because he says it and light exposes everything, what does that mean in light of that? What does it mean? In light of that, I want to be a secret smasher. I'm a light chaser and a secret smasher. And so how do we do that? That's a whole other question. How do we do that? Confession is the tool for every secret smasher. That's what the Bible says. It's really clear. Confession means to agree with God about a secret, a sin area in our life, to call it what it is, to not have any excuses, and not just to tell the Lord, but tell another trusted friend. It's why we're so passionate about groups, not just so you can have someone to study the word with, so you can have someone with over time you develop a relationship with that you share or confess sin with, and that's when freedom begins to happen in your life. Look at James 5.16. I mean, you read James, this is a half-brother of Jesus, right? There, confess your sins each to another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You see, what is confession? For the secret smasher, confession is the off-ramp. Confession is the off-ramp. Secrets, keeping secrets, it's the darkness where death and destruction is growing. In many ways, it's why you're discouraged, and it may even be why you are experiencing a level of depression in your life, because secrets are where death and destruction grow. But confession is the off-ramp that brings the light of the Lord Jesus into this area and begins to liberate us. You see, secret smashing is this. Look at this. Secret smashing is agreeing with God about what he already knows and what he's already paid for, right? Think about this. But you, with the secrets in your life, let me just say it this way, and I'm going to move on. You guys still with me? Right? Yeah. Uh, if you're watching online, those of you at Buchanan, think about this. There's really only a couple things you can do with your secrets. You can confess them, which is what the Scripture says. I would do that today. Or you cannot confess them and just wait and be outed by them, and it will happen. And the consequences will be greater than they are today. Or you can do nothing, and the Lord just might give you over to them, Romans chapter 1. So there's only one good option. It's to take the off-ramp. Is to say, God, you see, you see everything. Nothing is hidden from you. I'm going to call that what it is. I remember... Um, Early on, when I was flying a pretty good bit, you remember getting you get the you get the baggage claim. I never kept the baggage claim. That was like useless. Like, why would I keep a baggage claim? Nobody ever checked that. I, I, I just, you may say, well, I've gotten checked. I've never been checked. Right? My my bag is a is a bright yellow Bass Pro Shop bag. Nobody wants it, and nobody else has one. It's pretty easy for me to find mine. Right? I don't even have to put my name on it. It's like, who would want that? 
I never got my, I never get my baggage checked until one night. It's a Sunday night. It's late. I'm flying into San Domingo, the Dominican Republic, uh, late flight. I'm by myself waiting for the inter- interpreter on the other side of all the checkpoints. He's going to meet me and take me to the hotel. Done. I see my bright yellow Bass Pro Shop bag. I go and pick it up. I start to walk out, and a guy stops me. I don't know what he's saying. He's saying something. I don't understand him. A guy comes up and explains to me in English that he needs to see my baggage claim. I'm like, I don't keep those <laughs> for losers. They're for all these people who have a black bag that looks exactly alike. That's why you have a baggage claim. This is my baggage claim. He says, and, and so the guy says, well, you, you can't leave the airport with this bag until you present a baggage claim. Now it began to get real, Right? I don't want to leave that bag behind. I wanted what was in that bag. But for so much of my life, I just felt like baggage claims were not necessary. And that's kind of the way it is about confession, isn't it? A good idea for somebody else. But failing to confess as a believer is keeping you from the fullness that God would have for you. Confessing to another trusted friend about what's going on in your life, listen, will be liberating and freeing. Why? Because you're being obedient to the word of God for you. And the second thing that always happens every single time for me when I've confessed a sin area in my life uh, to another trusted friend, they begin to do the same. It begins to really open up. Because here's the thing. Here's, what, here's one of the reasons why we don't confess. Listen, watch this. Could you lean in here just for a second? Because we believe this lie as Christians that the enemy would have, that really says something like this, you ought to be further along in your spiritual journey than still dealing with that. So it just drives us deeper and deeper into hiding instead of being honest about that because of the brokenness in our life. Listen, we're all broken. Would you agree with that? Yeah, we're all broken. I spent the night in the neighbor's RV last night. (laughs) Light must be chased. Secrets must be smashed. Hope must be dispensed. We'll close with this. Wasn't this a hopeless situation for starters? Here's a woman. Her sin completely exposed. Shameful situation, desperate situation awaiting her death. That's a dark moment. The darkness of these men who care nothing about people, about this woman that They're supposedly leading spiritually, but they're using her. This is a dark, hopeless moment. And then Jesus steps in. I love his statements. Where are your accusers? And neither do I condemn you. Do you know what just happened? You see, light, the light of hope, the light of the gospel always pierces through darkness. This was a dark situation, and Jesus brought his light into the midst of it. He says, I'm not punishing you. I'm going to be punished for you. That's light. I want to bring the lights down just for a moment, just to try to drive this point home just a little bit better. In my pocket, I think it's a 12 to 15-year-old flashlight. It's not the one of those that's high dollar, has 8,000 lumens. But this room is relatively dark. But this cheap little pocket flashlight will instantly pierce darkness, doesn't it? Can I tell you something today, maybe for one person, maybe for watching online? Your personal darkness is no match for his light. Can I say that to you again? 
your personal darkness, your shame, your guilt, your despair is no match for his light. It will penetrate that darkness, heal that hurtful, shameful place. We can bring the lights back up. See, hope dispensers understand this. They understand this, this truth. Think about it for a second. They understand that to the degree to which we open ourselves up to light in our life is the degree to which we open ourselves up to life. Let me say it this way. I'm a fisherman. In the summertime, I don't like to get burned. I'm thinning on top of my head. So I have this big floppy hat. It's nice. I wear a mask. Not a, it's, it was pre-COVID. I wear a mask. It covers my face and my ears. I've even got gloves, summer fishing gloves, long pants, long shirt. Sometimes I'll be fishing. Amy's in the back of the boat, laying out, reading a book, getting some sun. And she's just giggling. And I'll say, what, is it funny? She said, it's not what I'm reading. It's you. She said, you just look ridiculous. She said, I love you. I really do. But you look ridiculous. So I appreciate that. Makes you feel good as a man in those moments, doesn't it? Like, yeah, yeah. You know, and again, why do I do that? I wanna, I, I'm covering myself from the sun. I'm afraid of my dermatologist, to be honest. I, I know that if I open myself up to the S-U-N, it, in, it ends bad in a few moments. But here's the problem in the church. We do just the opposite. We just cover almost every facet of our life from him. There are so many facets perhaps of your life and my life today that we're not exposing to his light. And the degree to which you expose every facet or each facet of your life to the light is the degree to which you experience life. Do you see it? Think about it this way. See if you agree with this statement. Physical light is necessary for physical life. Agreed? Yeah. Two minutes without the sun and it's the ice age, isn't it? Thick forest, thick canopy of trees. What does it look like on the bottom? Maybe just some moss. No life. Nothing can grow there because there's no light. Plants. Think about this for a moment. Think with me for a moment. Plants will never move away from light. It's fascinating. In biology, we learn this, plants are said to be positively phototropic, which means what? They're innately drawn to the light. One of the greatest tests of your faith, one of the greatest tests of the validity of our faith is this, are you drawn to the light? His word, are you drawn to it? How long has it been, has it been since you've been in it? You see, here's what we do in ministry. We just, we just push and push and push and push to do this, to do this. But listen, at the end of the day, we're either drawn to the light or we're not. Are you drawn to worship? Do you want to be here today to declare the greatness, the majesty, the power, and the forgiveness and grace of your God? Or was it mere obligation? At the end of this story, 
when the crowd, when the accusers had slipped away, remember at the end of this story, it was just Jesus and the woman, right? Can I tell you something that is a truth, whether you believe it or not? That's how the story will end for every single one of us in this room. There is a coming a day for me. And there is coming a day for you that'll just be you and Jesus. And how does that make you feel? Excited or fearful? I think it's important to answer that question, wrestle with that question. Because I think nothing will give you a clearer picture of your spiritual condition than that. And if you're honest today, and I'm glad that you are, and if your answer is, to be honest, it's fearful, could it be that you've never fully uncovered the mystery of who this Jesus is? who has loved you and done for you what no one else has ever done, who said to this woman, neither will I condemn you. Why? Because he was going to be condemned for her, and that story is the same for you as well. Is that good news? How can we not embrace that? Father, thank you for this moment in time. Thank you that you are the light. Help us to chase it more than we ever have to realize that it is your word that uncovers and eliminates the traps. Help us to be secret smashers. Help us to be hope dispensers because we believe that there is no darkness that your light can't penetrate. And God, for any who are here today or watching online, who have fear about that moment when it's just you and them. Could you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, begin to move in their heart and life and reveal once again who you are to them and what you desire to do to cleanse them, forgive them, dwell within them, that they might fall desperately in love with you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.